three different colors of pink? Three different shades of pink. Yes. Mm, I have a hard time finding three sh- different shades of pink, and it's 2021. Magenta, pink, light Like pink. a pens? I don't know. It just says ink. Maybe they made it. Yeah, but they don't, like, they make them, but, like, not frequently. I don't know. It's all crazy to me. Mm-mm. It's fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. Everything's okay. Welcome to the podcast. I'm fine. It's fine. We're all fine. Interesting but boring. My metronome is off. I have a refreshing sprite in front of me. Your alcoholic sprite. That's basically what it is. Yeah. Well, so uh, in the book I'm reading, uh, she meets the devil and she's like, well, what's your name? And he's like, I'm not telling you. Like, what do you think it is? It's better done than that. Yeah. And then uh, so what he makes himself in the image that she loves the most. So she created a boy that she drew and she just kept drawing him and he turned himself into that and he was like, well, like, you you have already named me. Like, what is my name? And she thinks it. And she named him Loose, as in, and she goes, like, it's Loose. As, at the time, I thought it was as in Lucian. But now it seems like a horrible joke mm. because Loose is. That's so good. Yeah, um, it's a really good book. Yeah, I ordered it from Target. Yes. It'll be here in a couple days. And what I also like is, like, so the female is a very strong female character, mm-hmm. but the male is kind of a baby. Yeah. And it's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Preston and I were talking about that that dynamic, actually, about, because um, we were talking about the new Wonder Woman movie and how a lot of I people. I heard it's awful. Yeah. A lot of people don't like it because it definitely is, like, kind of a. From what I've heard, it sounds like a virtue signaling kind of like very politically motivated movie. And they kind of did the thing with um, Gal Gadot as they did with Brie Larson in Captain Marvel. And I don't know why they did it because it's like the first movie did so well because Gal Gadot was a very strong woman, Mm -hmm. but you weren't talking about it all the time. And I was thinking about it because, like, a lot of movies and shows do that where it's like, oh, this is a strong female woman and, like, girl power. And even, like, Infinity War did that with, like, at the end with all the girl superheroes being like, yeah. girls, get it done or whatever. Yeah. Um, but Don't I was thinking worry, about. I got back up all the women. Yeah. And so I was thinking about it and we just finished the 100. And every time they do that, where it's all just, like, women doing something, they never talk about how it's all women. Or, like, in Vikings, I think that's probably my favorite, is with Lagatha. It's never, oh, she's a woman. She's just yeah, a strong shield maiden. She's like, fantastic, yeah. And I think that's the kind of thing that Or in the 100, yeah. Like, in the 100 with Octavia and Clark, they're just mm-hmm. very strong. Or Endra. Love Endra. They're just you hate Endra. No, I like Endra. I hate Clark. 
Oh, okay. That's I, fine. Yeah. Octavia's my favorite. Um, yeah. I don't... Mm, I have opinions about the show, but, uh, yeah, it's just... I just hate the whole, like... Because what was it? I think it was... I think it was the 100 that it had a scene that was very similar to um, Lord of the Rings where Amor was like, you know, like the guy's like, no man can kill me. And she's like, I am no man (laughs) or whatever. That was like the last time that that kind of situation really like that was like a good way to do it. Yeah. Like if you really wanted to push the whole like she's a woman and that's why she's great or whatever. That was like. The way, I don't know. It's just, it kind of feels like pandering, and I don't like it. Are you mad I'm in here? Okay. It is pandering. Yeah. Because that's where our uh, nation is leading. But yeah, I do I do like it when they don't acknowledge the fact that it's a woman. Like, it's just a strong woman. Yeah. Strong person. It's a person. Yeah. Anyway, this whole beginning is going to have to get cut out, because I don't think our viewers want to hear any of that. Nope, we are definitely going to cut all of that out. So now that we've been talking for 17 minutes, but it'll probably be more like five minutes for you guys. Hi, best friend. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Hi, best friend. And hello, listeners. And welcome to I'm on Fire. This is the Random Fun Facts podcast where we're random, we're fun, and we're sometimes factual. I'm Arissa, and I'm in Nebraska. And I'm Chloe, and I'm in California. And today we are talking about conspiracy theories. Do 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 do. Do 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 do. Just put that in our intro. Make our intro even longer than it already is. Our intro must be fifteen minutes long. <laughs> our intro ends up being fifteen minutes long, and our podcast is only twenty. It's fine. Um, so, True Crime Christmas, you went first. Yes. So, I will go first. Okay. Okay. So, I am very excited to be telling you the conspiracy theory that is Lewis Carroll is... Jack the Ripper. Interesting. Yes. I'm very excited. I do have to pull up my pages, though, because I deleted them. Carol has Jack the Ripper. All righty. So, this is kind of a wild one, obviously. I'm very excited. I found it and I was like, yes. (laughs) So for anybody who doesn't know, Lewis Carroll is the author of Alice in Wonderland, which is one of my favorite novels, Mm -hmm. books, children's works. It's a novel. Pieces. It's great. I actually collect, (laughs) Chloe collects covers of Wuthering Heights, which I guess I kind of do too because I have three and then I also collect covers of Alice in Wonderland because it's so fun. There's so many different ones out there. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland is one that they make, like, tons of different versions of. Yeah, and they're always so, like, intricate and weird. I'm still mad I didn't get that uh, Wuthering Heights cover that we had in college. 
Oh, yeah. That really pretty one. I'm mad I didn't buy that book. It's fine. Anyway. So, Lewis Carroll was actually the pen name. His real name was Charles Ludwig Dodson. Dodson. Dodgson. Dodson. Dodson. So, he was already really good at hiding his name. So, why wouldn't he be good at hiding murders? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's this article. So much reaching, but I'm going to try my hardest to make it believable. Yay. I even threw in some of my own, like, pieces to make it more believable. So, he was known for being a rather quiet man and a lifelong bachelor, as well as an Oxford math teacher. I have in my notes, a thing nerd. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. With his writing of Alice in Wonderland, people began to analyze the work more closely. Did I just copy and, like, paste this? Probably. The notion of having a child book with a pro-drug message made people uneasy. I didn't write that sentence. Uh, just so that I'm not, like, copywriting. Oh, also, I got this um, from, it's on mentalfloss.com. It's called When Lewis Carroll Was Suspected of Being Jack the Ripper, which he was actually a suspect. That's even better. Jack the Ripper was definitely a woman, though. And I'll explain that at a later date. But Yeah, I would like to hear it. So the idea of having a children's book with a pro-drug message definitely didn't make people happy. Some would say uneasy. Ooh. <laughs> um, because of the psychedelic nature in Alice in Wonderland, uh, compared to the quiet and reserved man that Lewis Carroll was, a theory broke out that maybe, just maybe, Carol or Charles had an identity disorder, Mm. such as multiple personality disorder, which the article did not say, but that's what I'm going with. He had himself, Charles, the quiet, bookish math professor. Then there was Lewis Carroll, the psychedelic, fun-loving author. And then there was something much more sinister. Charles's third personality. Jack the Ripper? Jack the Ripper. Whoa. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. So the Ripper murders took place in 1888 in London's Whitechapel district. Jack murdered and mutilated at least five women, pulling out their intestines and acting as a, ooh, fun word alert, vivisectionist which is a biologist who studies how the body works by cutting into live animals or humans. So with very little evidence to pursue, this is a very odd, very cold case that still perplexes people. I did not write this. It's <laughs> such a horrible person. The suspects were numerous. I did not write this. There were many suspects. Um, So one of them was William Gull, who was Queen Victoria's personal physician, a scrap metal merchant named James Maybrick, who supposedly left a diary confessing to the murders, a man named Charles Cross, who lived and went to work on the route the murders took place, and so on and so forth. So they kind of like looked for, looked at every single man. Mm -hmm. No women. I'm telling you, man. So, Lewis Carroll was born in 1832 and was sent to boarding school at the age of 12. 
and would write home about his distaste for the racket in the street during the evening and night. This led to researchers believing that uh, Carol was probably bullied by the other boys in school, making him have a psychotic break that would lead or that would live with him for the rest of his life. Also, that's about the age where something traumatic happens to you. You start developing uh, dissociative disorders Mm -hmm. in order to cope with things happening to you. Right. So Lewis Carroll also had a love for wordplay and anagrams. So in one of his letters, he writes, My dear Skeff, roar not lest... Let me go to uh, the article because I don't think I wrote it down correctly. I did not. My dear Skeff, roar not lest thou be abolished. And if you change the words around, it becomes, ask mother about the red lion. Safer boys fled. And they believe that the red lion was a game played at the boarding school that researchers believe had a sexual nature. Mm. So, yeah. Which is another thing that develops to dissociative disorders. So he becomes angry with his parents for sending him to a school that is uh, physically and sexually abusing him. Um, And then I skip down. Alice was published in 1865. (laughs) No more school talk. Carol continued to teach at Oxford, still angry over his past. In 1888, during the time the Ripper was active, Carol published a nursery version of Alice meant for younger children. And he has uh, some connotations in there as well. So in it, um, one of the researchers says that Carol confesses to the gruesome murders. He sets about deciphering his suspected anagram in one of the passages. And Wallace, the researcher, comes up with this. So in the nursery version, it says, if I find one street whore, you know what will happen. T'will be off with her head. Um, In the same book, Carol offers what appears to be a throwaway passage about a dog declining a dinner. So we went to the cook and we got her to make a saucer full of nice oatmeal porridge. And then we called Dash into the house and we said, now Dash, we're going to have your birthday treat. We suspect we expected Dash would jump for joy, but it did. It didn't. One bit. Blending the letters, Wallace retrieves the following. O, we, Thomas Bain, Charles Dodson, coited into the slain nude body, expected to taste, devour, enjoy a nice meal of a dead whore's uterus. We made do, found it awful, wan and tough like a worn, dirty goat hog. We both threw it out. Jack the Ripper. Ah, yes. Makes sense. He makes complete sense. (laughs) Not reaching at all. Not at all. So the researcher believes that Lewis Carroll has 100% signed his confession. And Lewis Carroll even admits to leaving certain things in the nursery version of Alice that were pretty violent that he did not necessarily need to leave in for the nursery version. Um, So then on top of these specific anagrams, oh, in his library, I don't know where my brain's going. 
Detectives found over 120 books on medicine, anatomy, and health. And as a scholar, you know he definitely studied these, which would give him the knowledge and the ability to commit the murders Mm -hmm. in the way that they happened. Because it was um, very much like he knew what he was doing. Like whoever Jack the Ripper was, uh, it seemed like he knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. So they believed he had like a doctor's background or a butcher's background or something like that. Right. So then another thing is his mother was specifically known for having an abnormally large nose and something the murders were known for was that all of the noses of his victims were cut off. Could he be trying to get back at his mother after all of this time? Totally. Preaching. (laughs) Carol was in public transport distance of the murder sites. And then the next piece of evidence is the letters to the newspapers known as the Ripper letters, which you can find those. I don't think I'm going to read them. I have them, but I'm not going to read them. Basically, uh, the Ripper wrote several letters to newspapers just being like, haha, you can't catch me. Zodiac style. And, uh, They studied the letters as well as Lewis Carroll's diary and found that the handwriting did not match. However, this could be explained in two ways. How Wallace explains it is that his close friend, Thomas Byron, who he spoke of earlier, wrote the letters and sent them into the newspaper. The other way is that if he did have multiple personality disorders, it's been studied and it's known that different personalities have different handwriting. Right. Yeah. So that's how I would explain it is that if he had multiple personalities, he slipped into the other one. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like I, I can understand where he's coming from with like the friend situation, but also like if he's writing about or like if his friend's writing these letters, and then they get sent to these newspapers. I think his friend would have some questions, first off. And also, well, like... he thinks that his friend helped commit the murders. Like, it was the two of them committing the murders. That would make more sense then. But I think it's more fun to believe that he had DID and that his personality had a different handwriting than his yeah. other personalities. So, that is the story. However, there is also at the end of this article, there was one notable response after a brief explanation of Wallace's research in 19, excuse me, 1996, two readers wrote in to respond with a compelling counter argument. Wallace's own words in the piece, this is my story of Jack the Ripper, the man behind Britain's worst unsolved murders. It is a story that points to the unlikeliest of suspects, a man who wrote children's stories. That man is Charles Dodson, better known as Lewis Carroll, author of such beloved books as Alice in Wonderland. Could be arranged to read, The truth is this. I, Richard Wallace, stabbed and killed a muted Nicole Brown in cold blood, serving her throat with my trusty Shiv's strokes. I set up Orenthal James Simpson, who is utterly innocent of this murder. P.S. I also wrote Shakespeare's sonnets and a lot of Francis Bacon's works, too. Oh, my gosh. 
Wallace never commented on it. And that's the story of Jack, how Jack the Ripper is Lewis Carroll. That's so fun. Yeah. Definitely reaching. A little bit. But I think most conspiracy theories are that way. Yeah. It was very enjoyable. Yeah, I'm a fan. That's a fun one. Yeah, I had fun reading it. Yeah, I think for the next, maybe maybe in a couple weeks or months when we do another Conspiracy Theories, or a couple down the line, I'll talk about my theory about how Jack the Ripper was a woman. But Wouldn't that be so funny if you did Jack the Ripper was a woman this episode? Like without that, Yeah, that would have been pretty that crazy. Been I actually saw this one theory, and it made me really upset that... Um, People believe that Emily Bronte's brother wrote Wuthering Heights because how could a woman write such wonderful language and have such brutish, brutish male blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, shut up. Anyway. Okay, same argument. Jane Austen and Elizabeth. Elizabeth's a pretty, like, yeah, abrasive woman character for a female to be writing. Yeah, I think it's, I think their whole argument it's different, with, but it's yeah, not. their whole argument with the Wuthering Heights thing is how Bronte wrote Heathcliff and, like, just the male characters in general, but I don't know if you remember when I was in Seth Long's class and we did that whole, like, write a piece of work and then he put it into this program online that would show you, like, oh, this was written by a man or this was written by a woman based on, like, how you use pronouns mm-hmm. and how you describe stuff. And no one could figure out which piece I wrote because it came back as it was written by a dude. Mm-hmm. So I think it just it's just how different people's brains work. And I read it and I was like, this is the dumbest argument I've ever heard. Anyway, so obviously yeah. I didn't do that. I one. mean, you can also make the same argument that uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was originally published under her husband and then it comes out that it's hers. Yeah. Like that's a that is the science fiction story. Right. And that's the first one. That would be the argument that I would see as far as like, oh, a woman didn't write this. Like especially at the time that it was written, it was just really out there for coming from a woman's mind. And I did quote thingies because I just think I think it's just so stupid that they just, like, categorize things based on, like, oh, a dude definitely did this because it's X, Y, and Z. And it's, like, no, just a person did this. <laughs> that takes us back to the previous conversation that's not in this episode. That's but, not in this, yeah. Um, <laughs> that I've completely cut out that you guys don't know of, but we've already talked about this. Yeah. You guys don't want to hear it anyway. That's fine. So my conspiracy theory is about the Philadelphia experiment on the... USS Eldridge. All right. This one is absolutely nuts, and I don't believe it, but it's fun to think about. So basically, all of this information is on Wikipedia, and I'm lazy, so it's basically just what you're going to get. You could get the same information as reading this article, but anyway. So, the Philadelphia Experiment. Um, it's an alleged military experiment on the U- um, the USS Eldridge, uh, basically put together by the U.S. Navy at the Philadelphia shipyard around October of 1943. Basically, the Navy destroyer was supposedly made invisible 
or cloaked to enemy devices. In 1955, letters were sent to a man who was known to write about UFOs. His name was Morris Jessup. And which is funny. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even put that. Okay, so you know how I told you I wanted to name my Irish wolfhound Morris? Mm-hmm. It was because I saw a puppo on Instagram named Morris, and it was very cute, but now I'm, like, seeing it everywhere. Anyway. Oh. It's fate. It's fate. Um, the universe is trying to tell you something. I need a Morris. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so these, like, unknown letters were sent to the UFO writer Morris Jessup, and the Navy obviously maintains that this story is a whole bunch of fake. Fake news. Fake news. I <laughs> I hate the way that my brain works now. I've been drinking too much Kool-Aid. <laughs> anyway. So basically, the person who sent these letters to Jessup, his name was Carlos Miguel Allende who is also identified as Carl M. Allen in a separate letter. And he claimed in these letters to have witnessed a secret World War II experiment at the shipyard in Philadelphia, um, saying that the USS Eldridge was rendered invisible and then teleported to New York. It was rendered invisible and teleported? Oh, just wait, it gets better. Okay. So it was teleported to New York, and then it was teleported to another dimension where it encountered aliens. Okay. Is there a crew on this ship? Yes, and I will get to that. Then it was teleported through time, which resulted in the deaths of several sailors, and several of those sailors became fused with the ship's hull. Part of the ship, part of the crew. Part of the crew, part of the ship. Part of the crew, part of the ship. And then, so this article, this Wikipedia page is like, Jessup dismissed Allende as a crackpot, which I think is hilarious because this guy writes about UFOs. Yeah. Uh, here's my thing. Like, if this is true, the government's hiding a lot of technology from us that, like, yeah, could be really useful. Well, and what's interesting, too, is, like, Originally, I was um, reading about theories about how the moon isn't real, and then I was, like, going to tie it into the moon landing being a fake thing, but, like, the whole argument for the moon landing being fake is that the U.S. didn't have the technology to get man on the moon in the 70s, well, 60s, but, like, if this theory is true, then they would have definitely had the technology to get a man on the moon. In the 60s. Because this yeah. was 20 years earlier. Also, my question is, is that if we had the ability to transport back in 1960s-ish, why can't we transport now? I don't know, like, man. We could transport, like, Osama bin Laden would have killed way Yeah, you sooner. just pop in, murk him, pop, pop in, out. Yeah. Call it good. Like... I don't feel like I don't feel like they would have waited that long to like do so many things. Like they could just teleport because they can make up something, but like I don't know. It yeah, it's a little fishy to me. Oh yeah, it's total malarkey. But 
so yeah, anyway, he was like, you're crazy. Um, but in early 1957, Jessup was contacted by the Office of Naval Research in Washington, D.C., who had received a box containing a copy of the book, The Case for the UFO, um, in an envelope that was marked Happy Easter. Um, the book had been extensively annotated in its margins, written with three different shades of pink ink, appearing to detail a correspondence among three individuals, one of whom is given a name, Jemmy. The Office of Naval Research labeled the other two Mr. A and Mr. B. Three different colors of pink? Three different shades of pink, yes. Mm, I have a hard time finding three different shades of pink, and it's 2021. Magenta, pink, light pink. Like a pence? I don't know. It just says ink. Maybe they made it. Yeah, but they don't, like, they make them, but, like, not frequently. I don't know. It's all crazy to me. Mm Mm-mm. That's even less believable than (laughs) the teleporting. (laughs) Three different shades of pink pen. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. These three individuals referred to each other as gypsies and discussed two different types of people living in outer space. Um, Their text contained non-standard use of capitalization and punctuation and detailed a lengthy discussion of the merits of various elements of Jessup's assumptions in the book. There were kind of obscure references to the Philadelphia experiment, one of which is that Mr. B reassures his fellow annotators who have been highlighted, who have highlighted a certain theory which Jessup then like purported about um the ability to do this kind of thing because like if you think about it if this guy's writing about ufos he's got to be talking about cloaking in some way because mm-hmm. that's all it goes hand in hand with aliens and ufos and all that kind of stuff but Jessup basically used the letters that he got from alan to find out that he was obviously one of the people who had written in the margins of the book But other people have come to that conclusion and also that the three styles of the annotations are from the same person using three different pens. So some people think that... Three different pink pens. Yeah, so (laughs) some people think that Alan was just, like, writing to himself with three different pens. Mm Mm-mm. Still don't believe it. Mm Mm-mm. So then the, um, the Office of Naval Research funded a small printing of 100 copies of the volume by the Texas-based Vero Manufacturing Company, which later became known as the Vero Edition, with the annotations in it, obviously. He, Jessup, went on to try to publish more books on the subject of UFOs, but was unsuccessful, um, losing his publisher and experiencing a succession of downturns in his personal life, led him to take his own life in Florida on April 30th, 1959. Basically, the experiment was allegedly based on an aspect of some unified field theory, which is something that Albert Einstein came up with, apparently, that kind of categorizes theories into situations that describe mathematically and physically the interrelated nature of the forces of electromagnetism and gravity, which are all things that my right sided brain do not understand 
That was a lot of smart talk. Yeah, basically. Oh, I got it. Yeah. But. Yeah. So according to some accounts, unspecified researchers thought that some version of this field would enable using large electrical generators to bend light around an object so that the object became completely invisible, otherwise known as refraction. Thanks, high school. Basically, this article says that the Navy regarded this as of military value and it sponsored the experiment. Well, yeah, that would be that would be something the military would be interested in. Yeah, it would be sure. very invaluable. But they they have other like versions of the story. A couple of them have to do with like Nazi Germany who like if you've watched like the ancient aliens thing on Netflix, they talk they have a whole episode about how Nazis had alien technology and anti-gravity stuff and blah, 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 which is a topic for another day. But there is no reliable accounts of this experiment, obviously, um, because it probably never happened. (laughs) But one thing that's interesting. That would be one reason. Yeah. One thing that's interesting, though, is that. um, Where did I see that? There was a reunion of Navy veterans who had served on the USS Eldridge, and they've said, well, they told a newspaper in 1999 that their ship had never even made port in Philadelphia, which would make this theory even more unbelievable. But there are, like, other stories about how it had, like, the equipment that they used to make it invisible and teleport it hadn't been calibrated correctly. And so it got sent to, like, Norfolk, um, Virginia, and, like, had taken people from different ships that were unrelated, and they'd ended up on the Eldridge and, like, all this crazy stuff. But, like, there was one account that I was reading that this guy had been on the Eldridge and it, like, teleported or whatever, and he ended up on a deck below where he had been and his hand was like fused to the ship. I don't know. I just think it's crazy. And I think that if um, the military could make things invisible and teleport, then we would have way more control over things than we do currently. Yeah. I, uh, I, I agree with that (laughs) because I mean, if the United States had that power, we could rule the entire world. Oh, yeah. Or if anybody, like, if North Korea got that power, they not hiding it. Yeah. They aren't hiding it. They ain't hiding that. Like that. <laughs> no, but I think it's, like, a fun idea, like, thinking about how, like, the military is hiding stuff and, like, you know, like, the whole Area 51. I mean, 51. they are. UFOs are real Area 51. Yeah. Have I ever told you about my coworker Tim? He's no longer my coworker, but his grandpa used to work in Area Fifty One, and he's always like, "I could tell you what's in there," and I was like, "Your grandpa couldn't tell no, you, you what's can't. in there." Like, no, you can't. Like, even the That's president, classified. yeah, even the president who knows plenty about Area Area Fifty One, I'm sure, doesn't know all of it. There's no one person in the world that knows everything that's going on. They all know bits and pieces. It's like. It's like the Coca-Cola secret recipe. Exactly. Like, nobody knows the entire recipe. Or the nuclear launch codes. Yeah. I met the dude with the football. Really? 
Yeah. That's so cool. So it was, uh, he came to Omaha for a Navy dinner while I was in JROTC. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was the commander at the time. So I got to meet Secretary of the State and then the guy who had the football. That's so him. cool. And yeah, Senior Chief like elbows me and is like, see that guy over there and like nods over to a guy and I'm like little 17 year old Arissa's like what still (laughs) like googly eyed because I've just met the secretary of state and he goes that dude has the football and like then I look down at the briefcase Mm -hmm. and like see the handcuff and like it was really cool dude yeah I was like it was cooler than meeting the secretary of the state well yeah who was a pretty chill dude yeah I don't know. It's just so funny because, like, if that's that brings up a good argument about, like, how no military has this kind of, like, power. Because Preston and I were talking about the nuclear codes the last time that we were driving back to Nebraska. And I was like, how has no one just, like, found out who these people are and killed them all at the same time and pushed the button all at the same time? And he's like, you know how, like, hard that would be? And so if someone had this kind of technology, why wouldn't they do that? Well, exactly. They could do that so easily. I don't know. It just seems odd to me because, okay, this was World War II also. So if they had this kind of technology, just send one person into Hitler's office. Yeah. And get it done. Cut his neck real quick. Get out. Like, I just, I find why it. Why do you have to go through the Holocaust? Well, and why does one need a whole ship? to disappear when you could just send one person i don't know well yeah you just calibrate it onto a lower scale and also like if this happened in in the 40s and 50s we would have perfected it by now like our military would be using this all the time yeah like okay here here is a really great example we would have perfected the technology and 9-11 9-11 would not have happened because we would have been able to teleport into the plane, mm-hmm. take it back over, and redirect the plane. Yeah. Like, there's so know. many arguments to that. We it would have perte- perfected the technology by now. Or even yeah. if not perfected it, we would have made it better. Oh, this is another part that I left out. You know how I said that, like, the Navy veterans, like, got together and they're like, ah, oh, we didn't even go to Philadelphia. Some people are saying that they were brainwashed. To, like, maintain the secrecy of the experiment. And, like, someone would have still had to know, though. Yeah. And also, like, like there's classified information. People are really good at not telling classified information. Yeah. But they don't, like, make up a lie. They just say that's classified. Exactly. You just don't talk about it or else you commit treason and get executed. Yeah. I don't know. I just, it was kind of, like, a fun thing. And I had been searching around on the internet for a while. And I was just like, oh, this. This I'll do. But I liked it. I definitely don't believe it. I don't know who believes it. <laughs> I don't know either, but it was fun. It was fun. That's the Philadelphia experiment, everyone. All right. And uh, I found a really good site that has just a ton of like actually very interesting facts. So I'm just going to go with one. And probably end up going down this list eventually. So uh, here's the fun fact for the day. 
Donkey Kong got his name because his creator believed donkey meant stupid in English and wanted to convey the impression that the character was a stupid ape. Wow. Fun. Fun. You should, um, you should send me that website and then we can just like switch off reading down that list. Yeah. But yeah, what should we ask them to tell us this week? Um, let's see here. This comes out on the 22nd. Uh. What is your favorite flavor of gum? Of gum? Gum. And are you a gum chewer? I chew gum. And I do as well. I have I, a problem, actually. I go through, like, different phases of, like, what I like. Spearmint is, like, my go-to. But currently, I've been chewing Sweet Mint Orbit, and it's really good. Hmm. I am still on my Spearmint Ice Cubes. Uh, like, the Icebreaker Ice Cubes. Yeah. They're so good. Preston got Ice Cubes the other day, and he's like, what is this? <laughs> They're so good. It's like, how have oh. you never had this before? It's it's the perfect texture and flavor. Yeah, it's real crunchy. Because it doesn't, yeah, and then it, like, forms into a really, like, nice elastic feeling instead mm-hmm. of, like, separating like some gums do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very satisfying gum, and I probably will never change because I'm so satisfied with it. <laughs> <laughs> gum satisfies me. Gum is satisfying. Fun uh, fact. I love gum. Fun fact. <laughs> gum. All right. Well, I am hungry. Yeah, I should let you go so, so you could go eat your Jimmy John's and make me sad because I don't have Jimmy John's. I can send you pictures if you want. No, please don't. It'll make me cry. <laughs> okay, I won't. Um. Yeah, so make sure that you give us a rating and review and let us know that you're, like, enjoying our podcast. Like, you just listened to the entire thing, so I hope you're enjoying it, because that would be really sad if uh, you hated it. You listened to an hour and you hated it. Like, that's an hour gone. I don't know why you're doing that. <laughs> Otherwise, thanks for listening. Um, also, make sure that you give us a review. Go ahead and tell us, like, about your gum preferences in the review section. We would love to hear it. And go follow us on Instagram at I'm on Fire the Pod. And have a great day. (laughs) All right. Good outro. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't awkward at all. (laughs) All right. I will talk to you later, best friend. Yep. Thanks for listening, guys. Goodbye, best friend. Bye, best friend. (laughs)